Recently, I did a survey of all the students who had purchased my Blueprint course, and one of the questions was what three words or phrases describe your feelings about money? The responses were overwhelmingly negative. There were themes including stress, shame, scarcity, guilt, insecurity. (laughs) One person even used the word abuse. And I know from conversations I've had over time that since I teach about how to price and sell your work, and since I come from in-person sales and I talk about the fact that my photo business routinely makes six figures, people seem to assume that things like money and sales and charging higher prices all come easily to me. The reality is that although these days I feel pretty confident when it comes to money and all the things surrounding it, including earning it, saving it, and spending it, it definitely has not always been that way. So today, I want to share a bit about my own journey when it comes to money, where I have been in the past, where I am now, and how I got there. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Growing up, my family didn't really talk about money. We did not have any money when I was little. My parents were quite young when they had me, and I think that it was probably a pretty significant struggle for the first at least decade of my life while they (laughs) navigated their 20s. But by the time I was aware of money as a construct, we sort of had enough that my parents didn't need to constantly talk about it, and they didn't. They definitely modeled some really good behavior. They would spend within their means. They talked about the importance of not going into debt, except for things like, you know, a home purchase or a school loan. And they talked pretty routinely about the fact that you don't need money to be happy. In fact, in some ways, they went overboard into the territory of, like, money can be corruptive, um, Corruptive? Is that even a word? (laughs) Money can corrupt people. And there was sort of this overarching, if unspoken, lesson of if you have money, you're not supposed to talk about it or show it off. The high school that I went to was also pretty unremarkable in terms of the population of people there when it came to money. There were a range of people who – I went to a small Catholic school um, and – Because we all wore uniforms and, you know, it wasn't anything fancy, there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of comparisonitis that I think a lot of people in high school had. So in some ways that shielded me from the uh, concerns that a lot of teenagers have, some of the stuff that I see my own kids seeing and um, dealing with, I was pretty sheltered from. But then I went off to college, and where I went to school, it was a private school, it was expensive, and there were a lot of kids there with a lot of money that came from families that were quite wealthy. You know, I showed up my freshman year (laughs) hardly able to dress myself, given that I had gone to Catholic school and worn a uniform my whole life, Um, and there were kids there who, you know, clearly had 
their parents' credit card and the ability to go use that with abandon. A lot of them had not only cars, but fancy cars. I didn't have any car at all. And so in many ways, that was my first experience with money being kind of a differentiating factor for people. I often sort of felt like a fish out of water, but I definitely wasn't like confident enough in myself at that point to feel like, well, this doesn't matter. So it it was definitely an issue. But, you know, you get through that sort of thing. And after school, I moved to New York City um, because I wanted very badly to live there. I had visited once. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> and I had it in my head that that would be a great place to live in my early 20s. And it was. Um, I got a job. My undergraduate degree, my original undergraduate degree was in cultural anthropology. So it wasn't like I was set up for some specific career track. But knowing that I wanted to move to New York, I applied for jobs with places like um, investment banks, which makes me laugh now, and consulting firms. And that was sort of like a, you know, you don't have to have any particular skill set other than a willingness to work. And I figured those places tended to be pretty high paying. And I figured that that would afford me the ability to live in what I had come to understand was a super expensive city. So I moved there in May after graduation, um, and that was 2001, and I got a job waiting tables because that's what I knew how to do, and I was just going to sort of wait tables to meet people and have enough money to live for the summer until my job was supposed to start in October. And then 9-11 happened, and my consulting job offer disappeared. Well, actually, it was just put on hold, but it was gone for months and months while they were sort of navigating the post 9-11 waters. Hard to believe that's 20 years ago now. Um, and so I was just sort of waiting tables like with this newfound, um, you know, well, what do I do next? Do I wait for this job to start? But at that point, I had been in New York long enough that um, I sort of had a sense, you know, I was making pretty good money waiting tables. And I was like, oh, I guess I don't need to make the most money here in order to live. So what do I actually want to do? And all of that sort of over a period of time got me to this idea that I was going to go back and go to nursing school. So I took out a loan. Um a loan that I just recently paid off, actually. So <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But I took out a loan, applied, and went to, to get a second bachelor's degree in nursing. And in the meantime, I met the man that I would marry a couple years later. And at the beginning of our relationship, I was only 22, and um, I didn't have very much money to speak of, but I had saved up a little bit of money over the summer with my waiting tables job. And when I met him, he was eight years older than I was, and he had been living in New York all this time. And he had quite a lot of credit card debt that, you know, came up in the course of conversation over the first several months of our relationship. And so um, between that and the fact that shortly after we got married, he had this major health issue that came up that landed him in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And those two things ended up putting us into a fair amount of debt around the time that I was 25. So I had this student loan, we had this giant health bill, um, and this credit card debt that he was trying to work off. So, you know, this is pretty typical 20s stuff. Like we were navigating all of this. I was working and going to school. He was 
in grad school and then he finished grad school and he had a, um, a good job, but it was still like pretty entry level. Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Are you feeling stuck in your photography business? If you're bogged down or burned out or unsure what the next right step is, you're not alone. I've been there and I know firsthand that quicksand feeling where the harder you struggle, the more stuck you feel, which is why I created the Photographer's Business Plan Glow Up. The Glow Up is a five-part workshop designed specifically for photographers like you. In the Glow Up, I lead you step-by-step through a process that will help you clarify your goals, identify the sticking points that are holding you back, get inspired by some of the systems and strategies that are working today in the photography industry, and then create a completely custom roadmap to take you from where you are now to where you want to be. It truly is a glow up for your business. Getting perspective can be nearly impossible when you've got your nose to the grindstone day in and day out. So this short workshop is an opportunity to reset, reevaluate, and rejuvenate your business, and it's all on demand. If that sounds like exactly what you need right now, click the link in the show notes or go to go.thiscan'tbethathard.com slash glow to get started today. And then just a year later, right before my 27th birthday, we had our first child. And so, you know, I look back on all these, it was like kind of rapid changes and I was trying to navigate all this stuff and... It was, you know, we were paying our rent and all that sort of stuff, but we were carrying a fair amount of debt. And in 2007, after Oliver was born, we were looking to potentially buy an apartment in Brooklyn. And, you know, I think back on that now, and I'm so grateful that we didn't. Um, I think, you know, historically, there's been a fair amount of pressure, like, oh, it's you're settling down. Real estate is the thing to do. You have a baby. But, you know, it in retrospect, we know that like the real estate bubble was at its very peak at that point. Um, I have no doubt that if we had stretched, which was what we were going to have to do to buy an apartment, it would have been, um, it would have trapped us in that very small apartment for a long time um, with a lot of sort of house debt. And uh, so I'm glad (laughs) that instead of doing that, I kind of pulled the plug and said, you know what? I think it's crazy that we're trying to continue living in New York. Things obviously after having a child really changed. It was, you know, all of a sudden I wasn't really taking advantage of all the stuff that New York City offered. Um, I was feeling pretty isolated. Most people in New York don't start families intentionally when they're in their mid-20s. And so I started saying, I think we need to move. I think we need to consider moving out of the city. That hadn't been part of the conversation before the baby was born. But um, but thankfully, uh, we were able to figure that out. And we decided to move to North Carolina for, you know, a host of reasons. And uh, so we moved here to North Carolina when my son was almost one. And then life kind of settled into a bit of a groove for a while. Uh, We both had steady jobs with steady income. I was working by that point as a nurse. And uh, my ex-husband kept his New York City job. He was working remotely. And between the lower cost of living and, you know, an increase over time in his salary, we were finally at a place where we weren't coming from behind every month. We weren't stretching every dollar as far as it could possibly go. I started grad school. We had another baby. 
And I think that from all outside sources, anyone would sort of look at that and say things were trending in the right direction. I had just turned 30 and it sort of felt like things were falling into place. And after Judah was born, I took a leave of absence from my master's program to, you know, explore this crazy idea of pursuing a photography career. (laughs) I was not happy with where my master's program was kind of going. I was realizing that this probably wasn't the right job for me in the long term. And so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And photography was kind of bubbling to the surface. And within a year of taking that leave of absence, I was really very actively trying to get the business to a place where I could quit my nursing job altogether and go full-time on photography. But in order to do that, I knew we needed to save pretty aggressively, and that ultimately became the source of a fair amount of contention. I wouldn't say that money was the cause of my divorce, but it certainly didn't help. And um, I promise I'm telling you this not just to... (laughs) air my own dirty laundry, but but because it really does impact, it was sort of foundational in the way that my money relationship evolved. Because for the last few years of our marriage, I really actively avoided looking at our credit card statements and our banking statements in this sort of ostrich-like attempt to keep the peace. I um, I knew that every time that I started deep diving those things, it ended up resulting in an argument, and I was trying to um, not argue. <laughs> I was trying to uh, find common ground as much as possible. So that was just something that I kind of started shying away from. But at the same time, as I'm sure many of you can probably relate to, shying away from that and not knowing created this like growing sense of dread about money and what it meant for me and how much we had and whether we were okay and all that sort of stuff. So up until that point in my life, I had always viewed money as sort of a necessary means to an end. It was kind of this thing that you needed to pay the bills and like I didn't really have any big overarching goals about it. Now, I was always a hard worker. I have always had a job from the time that I was 15 years old, probably before then. (laughs) Uh, And I knew how to spend less money than I made, but I had always been pretty intimidated by what I saw as kind of the adult mystery of money, (laughs) the the, like the, the stuff that people who seemed to know what they were doing knew. I did not feel like I was there. The only real clue that I had about personal finance was that I had no clue about personal finance. And given that I was at this point in my 30s and a parent of two children and someone who fancied herself, you know, generally speaking, to be a responsible adult, I had a fair amount of shame and anxiety around the subject of money. When people would talk to me about money, I could I could point to my income and I was proud of what I was making, but I wasn't necessarily able to go a whole lot deeper than that. I can sort of liken it to when I was first learning about photography and I lived in fear of being at like a wedding and having somebody come up to me and start grilling me about my camera settings or something. Like I could <laughs> I could function as a photographer. I could make good photos, but I I didn't at that point really understand all the ins and outs of how the camera worked and all that sort of stuff. So I kind of had this imposter syndrome around cameras in the beginning of my photography career. And in my early 30s, 
actually well into my mid-30s, I think I had a fair amount of imposter syndrome about money and finance. Um, and it, you know, if you're not talking to anybody about something, you don't necessarily recognize that that's not uncommon. But when my ex and I finally separated in 2017, and we went through the, you know, painful process of taking inventory of everything we owned, including our money and our, you know, savings, our retirement, I was uh, truly at that point shocked and pretty horrified at what little we had. I felt like at that point we probably should have had more, but again, I had been sort of head in the sand about a lot of it. And I know I've told this story before, some of you have heard it, but at this point, as we were going through the accounting process with the lawyers, specifically when we were looking at my business income and my expenses, my lawyer turned to me and asked when I was going to go back to my nursing job. And mind you, we're talking about five years after I had quit nursing altogether (laughs) and had been running what most people would argue was a successful photography business at that point for seven years. So that question, which was repeated to me after my lawyer said it by several well-meaning people over the course of a bunch of months, was both humiliating and terrifying. It was like, you know somebody just looking deep into my soul. It was like the men with the clipboards had shown up. (laughs) But at the same time, it was also hugely motivating for me. So in some ways, I'm glad now that people were asking me that question because it forced me to really get clear on what was going on. So faced with this kind of brick wall of reality, I basically dove headfirst into my fear And I decided that I was going to learn everything that, well, not everything there was to know, but everything I needed to know about personal finance. I was going to get myself to a level where I was comfortable with it, even if I hated it, even if it made my eyes glaze over, um, even if it made me like lose sleep at night because I needed to. And I was going to do whatever it took to get not only my understanding of personal finance, but also my understanding of my business and how that needed to run financially to a place where I could keep that as my career. I didn't want to have to give up this thing that I loved and that people told me I was good at and that I took a lot of sort of personal pride and also satisfaction in. So I had run my numbers when I was a new photographer. I think I've shared before that I took a class um, on setting up a business and it was really helpful for me. And that was how I ended up setting these pretty high prices right from the get-go. But the fact of the matter was those original numbers had, you know, almost no bearing on my business seven years in. It was like everything had changed. When I first ran my numbers, I was making a lot of educated guesses about expenses. I was also factoring in expenses that I no longer had and not factoring in expenses that had come on since I originally ran my numbers. Um, And of course, I was running all of my numbers with the baseline understanding that I had a two-income household at the beginning of my career. So I needed to rerun those numbers all the way back to, like, you know, starting from the the ground. So doing that, rerunning my numbers, was 
really scary at that point. Um, but it did give me some clarity around the fact that I was in an untenable position. Like my lawyer had a point when she asked me <laughs> when I was going back to my nursing job. Um, and the real crux of the problem was the fact that um, I looked at this and realized I was either going to have to significantly increase my per session average, which didn't seem feasible because I was already toward the top of my market, um, or I was going to have to figure out how to take on a lot more clients. And I literally couldn't. I did not have time in the calendar to do that, given how time consuming my process was because I was using in-person sales. And I know a lot of you know what came next. I'm just going to tell it because it is part of the story. But out of, at this point, sheer desperation, I was doing the whole thing where I was like, okay, well, let's just try and like get really creative about this. And what can we change? What, you know, if this square peg won't fit in a round hole, how can we, how can we change the peg? So uh, out of desperation, I developed and implemented what I now call the simple sales system and was able to increase my income, uh, decrease my workflow, and kind of stabilize my life. My business felt like it was way more manageable. Um, and, you know, here I am almost five years later with a thriving photo business that has allowed me to continue to provide for myself and my kids while doing all the other things, supporting causes and charities, funding my retirement accounts, and um, even going in on a little cottage at the coast with my partner and our best friends this past spring, which was really fun. And I will pause really quickly here to say that if you don't know about my simple sales system, if you don't know how that works, I want you to sign up for my free masterclass where I walk you through the six steps that have allowed me to turn these lessons that I learned in those seven years of in-person sales into an automated system that creates guaranteed profit and a great client experience without pushy selling or this time-consuming process of in-person sales. Um, it is, even if it's not right for you, it is a system that is working for people all over the world. I think it's worth learning about. Um, so if this money conversation resonates for you and you don't know about simple sales, I want you to go do that. It's, um, you can find the link in the show notes, or you can go to this can't be that hard.com slash simple to sign up. It is free, but back to the story. How did I get from where I was to where I am now? Right. I would say that the biggest shift is that I would say that the biggest shift is really one having to do with mindset. Um, I no longer regard money as an adversary or something to be afraid of or an anchor that's like weighing me down. Now I see it for what I believe it really is, which is a reality in our lives um, that is necessary to a certain degree. And beyond that level of necessity, it becomes a tool that when used properly can really be leveraged to create a rich life. And when I say a rich life, I am not <laughs> walking around dripping in diamonds or, you know, I'm still driving my 2002 Camry for those of you who have followed my car story for a long time. Um, you know, I generally am pretty 
like frugal and I, I live in a relatively low um, impact kind of a way, but I do spend many, money on things that are important to me. I like am able to take opportunities that I'm excited to take, be they trips to Iceland or anything else. Um, I think that it, you know, I try to be really intentional intentional about not only the way that I um, earn money, but also the way that I spend it. And what I also think I've learned is that the worst thing that you can do when it comes to money is to try and ignore it altogether. That was at least my biggest mistake. I think at best, ignoring money will mean missing opportunities to live that more intentional life or to be able to say yes to things. Um, And at worst, and possibly more likely, if you're really ignoring it, is that that act of ignoring it can end in disaster. So, you know, I never hit what anyone would call rock bottom. I had shelter and food and medical insurance and the freedom to make choices about my career and a whole lot more. Um, So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to paint this as some sort of like hero's journey. (laughs) But we all know that when you're in the midst of a situation, it can feel really dire, even if it's not dire by sort of objective standards. And if you had talked to me in the spring or summer of 2017, between this money situation and then just going through a divorce in general, I certainly felt like I was at rock bottom. I was scared, um, uncertain. I was ashamed. Really all of the negative things that I... (laughs) listed at the beginning in that, you know, of these survey responses that my students filled out, um, I was feeling those. I was, um, I was in a place of a lot of scarcity and fear. And now I am so grateful looking back. uh, I'm grateful to myself really for being willing to turn and look that fear in the eye. Um, And then I had a couple of good friends who were also major sources of encouragement and education when it came to money. And so I'm grateful for that as well. And what I have learned has not only helped me gain financial freedom, it's also helped me shed an enormous amount of stress and fear that were related to the unknowns that I had around money. It's like before I was that little kid in the dark room who was like getting more and more panicked about the monsters in the shadows. And, um, you know, then somebody came in and flipped on a light or I decided to get up out of bed and flip on the light myself. And sure, you know, there's always a chance that there's going to be a monster in the corner, (laughs) but at least with the light on, you can, you know, see it and kill it. I, uh, I definitely had, if not full-blown monsters. I had what were developing into some monsters. And I did, it took a fair amount of work to get to a place where I didn't feel that. But now the lights are on and I feel good about it. But if you are in that dark place, I promise I totally get it. That's why I wanted to tell this story today. And I am 100% here to cheer you on if you decide and as you decide to make that decision to turn on the light. There is no shame in starting a business without fully understanding the monetary side of it. My guess is that that's like 90% of the people that are out there running businesses. Even the people that you think 
are have it all under control, I promise you, most of them don't. They are probably in exactly the same situation. But although there is no shame in starting a business or running a business without understanding that money thing, there definitely is risk. Um, so I hope you decide to turn on the light. I hope you decide to build a business that you and the people that you provide for can absolutely rely on because it's a place in your life and in your mind that my own experience tells me feels a lot better. Anyway, thanks for listening to my story. I hope you guys have a great week. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.